All right, if your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter number 21. Revelation 21, and uh, we'll continue. And tonight's chapter is an exciting chapter, to be honest with you. And I've entitled it, Everything Made New. And uh, it's out for us a lot of things uh, that are going to be happening and taking place. And so it's a good chapter, and, uh, and it really describes everything that is made new. And, and, and when you read it, it, it's like, it really is exciting. And, uh, and you start thinking, man, it really makes your wheels turn. And, uh, and so I hope and pray that it is a blessing to you uh, this evening. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number one, the Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, some of you fellows are going to be sad about that, all right? There's no more ocean, but there's water up there. There's a river, okay? Uh, so there's that. Uh, verse number two. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there, is, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Father, we thank you for the great truth uh, that your word is. And God, I pray that you would use it. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me this evening. I pray, Father, that you would uh, touch hearts and encourage each and every person that's here. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory again for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this chapter, uh, there, there's great reassurance in reading this. And, uh, and it is a blessing, and, it, and it's something that we can look forward to. And the thing that we see, at least here in the first half, and I'll probably spend the majority of the time in the first half, uh, we really see a lot of the new conditions that are laid forth. And, uh, and I put it this, more so this rather than conditions, just kind of a reassurance of what is going to be there and what is going to take place. And it's helpful to really think about that. Notice this in verse number one, he starts right off in the very beginning and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And, uh, and he's giving us assurance that, hey, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. 
Uh, go with me, save your spot here in Revelation, but go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter number 3. And verse number 10, it's been foretold, uh, it's been talked about many times in the Bible. We're going to look at a few passages where it does discuss this, or maybe I'll just give you the verses, but we'll look at this one because this is a primary one. Second uh, Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 10, uh, where it talks about the fact that the heaven and earth are going to pass away. And, uh, and listen, for those of us who are saved and those of us who are born again, the point of this is, hey, don't get too tied down to this earth. Don't, don't allow the things of this world to crowd out the things of God, because in the end, they're all going to go, they're going to burn up. Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of time that you put in to, uh, to all of the worldly things, and boy, we can put a lot of time into worldly things. And there's nothing wrong with relaxing. I'm not saying that. But, but you know what I mean. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some people make a God of things of this world. And it's all about their car. It's all about their house. It's all about uh, this or that. Or you plug in whatever it is that they invest all of their time and energy focusing on that one thing and, uh, and, and at the, uh, allowing things that are spiritual just to go to waste. And we find that in the end, listen, this is all going to burn up. And, and it's just not going to last very long. Everything here is temporal. Second Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Verse number 11, I love this. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And he goes on, and he, but his whole idea is, listen, everything that is in this earth is going to be gone. And, and with that in mind, hey, listen, what kind of a Christian ought we to be? That's his question. How ought that, that affect our life on a daily basis? And the bottom line is this. Uh, listen, yes, you need to take care of your home. Yes, you need to take care of your possessions. I'm not saying you don't, that you just let everything go. Uh, but listen, those are not to be our God. Those are not to be the most important thing. The spiritual things are the most important in our life. By the way, they will last forever. That's something that's worth investing in. That's something that's going to last. But this world, the Bible expressly says it there in verse number 10, the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth and also the works that, uh, that are therein shall be burned up. So everything here, hey, it's going to go. It's going to be burned. It's going to be gone. Uh, I hate to tell all these tree huggers and, and world savers that, but the reality is you're not going to save the earth. It's not possible. God has already predicted. God has already stated. It's going to be burned up completely. 
And so we need to understand that. Uh, the Bible's very clear about that. And so as we noted here, the primary idea of this passage is, hey, we ought to live in a spiritual thing, but the idea with spirituality in mind, but the idea also that the world is going to uh, pass away is very clear and evident in the Word of God. How about this? In Matthew chapter 24, you can note it down. Matthew 24, 35, the Bible says this, uh, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Hey, listen, there's something you can look forward to in heaven. That's the word of God. It's going to be there. Hey, isn't that something amazing that you can hold the word of God in your lap tonight and know that, hey, these are eternal words. Uh, this is not a temporal book. This is an eternal book for all of eternity. Uh, it is going to be there because the Bible says my word shall not pass away. Uh, and listen, the word of God is going to stand forever. Everything else that you see, it's going to go. It's going to be gone. But the word of God is going to last. How about First John chapter 2 and 17? And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Uh, we're talking about the world passing away. It is stated over and over. And so many of these verses, yeah, it's not the primary thought or focus of, the, of those verses, but is mentioned in passing as a nonchalant, hey, we already know this is going to happen. It's been stated over and over, and we, we know these verses, we hear these verses, but the truth of the matter is, hey, in, in Revelation 21, we see that it's going to take place, it's going to be destroyed, and God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. Boy, what a wonderful place that'll be. It's hard for us to imagine a world without sin. We just, I don't know about you, but I can't even fathom that. Because we live in a sin-cursed, sin-filled, wicked world today. And I don't know what a world without the influence of sin will look like, but we will know. Because, listen, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And so these things are going to be burned up. Isaiah 65, 17, you can write it down uh, in the Old Testament. It says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mine. And so it's been foretold even before the New Testament. In the New Testament, uh, it was repeated over in, in 2 Peter, Matthew, 1 John. It's been repeated in several books and there's others. But I'm just saying that, listen, the world is going to be burned up, but there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Look at verse number 2 in Revelation 21. As we go back to our text, we find that there's a new heaven and a new earth. Verse number two, the Bible says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Not only is there a new heaven and the assurance of a new heaven and a new earth, but there is a new Jerusalem. And, uh, and I found this very fascinating, to be honest with you, uh, because uh, of all the places on the earth that exist, God has chosen Jerusalem. Uh, I, I went back, oh, it was... I know I went through some of the history, at least it was, it was a while ago, but that, that temple mount uh, where, the, uh, where the temple used to be built, and wow, there stands a mosque there now, has been uh, the sacred mount that was selected all the way from the beginning uh, when, when uh, God told Isaac to go up that mount. That was Mount Moriah. That was the temple mount. Uh, that was the place. 
and, uh, and it's been historically a very important place. And you say, well, why did God choose that place? I don't know. Ask God when we get to heaven. I don't know why he chose that place, but he chose that place. And, and uh, for years, uh, that has been a place, for thousands of years, since the beginning of time, it has been a, a place of religious significance uh, throughout history. And, uh, of course, for the Jews, having their, uh, their tabernacle, or the temple, rather, built there, and, and then the history of that, and then, uh, of course, the Muslims coming in, and, and that whole war, and putting their mosque right there, it has been the center uh, of religious activity for thousands of years and I find it fascinating that God's going to to wipe it out but he's going to bring back a new Jerusalem isn't that fascinating that, that God would think so much of that see you say preacher is it going to be the same I don't know I, I don't think so because I can tell you one difference right now Jerusalem is made out of a lot of dirt and the new Jerusalem is going to be made out of a lot of gold all right, so that's one distinct difference. I don't think, uh, I think we'll definitely see that difference. Uh, but, but I am saying this, that it's fascinating to me that God would, would make a new Jerusalem. I, I thought of this verse, uh, John chapter 14, Jesus is giving a promise to his disciples. He's talking about how he was going to die and leave. And, and he says, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And I thought, boy, is this the place he's working on? Uh, after all, it's in heaven and it comes down out of heaven. And uh, now I don't know, but I'm just saying uh, I find that very fascinating. Uh, notice this, too. I want you just to point out this, that the Bible says um, in verse number two, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so it's not the bride of Christ, uh, but it is, is beautiful. It is adorned. It is all decked out as a bride would be on her dead, wedding day. And so you can imagine all the ornate beauty that is put into this city. Uh, and it's used there as an illustration of how beautiful a place it's going to be. Look at verse number three. Not only do we have a, a, the assurance of a new heaven and a new earth, not only do we have the assurance of a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, but notice in verse number three, we have the assurance of God's presence. The Bible says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I tell you what, what a great precious promise, the assurance that, hey, we're going to go in eternity, and we're going to spend the rest of eternity with God. He's going to be there. He's going to dwell with us. He's going to inhabit that city. And He's going to be there uh, forever. And you don't have to worry about being separated from God because we know the promises of Jesus. Uh, and and where I, whither I go... Um, he, well, that's another part. But He says, uh, he says I, you will be with me forever, basically. That's the idea. And so, uh, listen, that's the same concept here, that you don't have to worry about a godless eternity. You'll spend all eternity with God. And it's reiterated. After all the judgment, after everything that has taken place, he is simply uh, reassuring us, hey, I will be there with you. Boy, what a great assurance for those of us that are saved. 
We look forward uh, to being with that presence of God. Look at verse number 6 and 7 because it's reiterated in those verses. In verse number 6 he says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Verse number 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And I'm just saying that, hey, there is the promise that God will be there for all of eternity and that we will be with him. Notice this in verse number four, not only the assurance of a new heaven and a new earth, the assurance of Jerusalem that is going to be brought down and be presented, the assurance of the presence of God with us. But notice this, the assurance, and I love this one, of the eradication of sin. Notice with me in verse number four, the Bible says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Boy, what a great verse right there. Uh, I'll give you uh, just a, a quick personal fact. The very first message I ever preached, I was 13 years old, I preached out of this passage. And um, it, it lasted a whole two minutes. It might not have even lasted two minutes, to be honest with you. It might have only been a minute and 30 seconds. But, uh, and you're saying, man, I wish, pre boy, preacher, go back to those days, amen? I got up and I had my outline. I was going to preach the no mores in, in heaven. And, uh, and I, I just thought, man, you just write them down. And, and I had all my points written down, and that's all I had. And I got up and I read my text and I read point number one, this, point number two, this, point number three, this, and I was done in a minute, 30 seconds. Man, I ran out the door. I was done. I was gone. Scared to death standing in front of people. Listen, what a great truth contained in this verse. There is going to be no more. Look at these things just with me for a moment. Uh, notice this, because this is kind of important. The Bible says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There's somewhat of a misconception that, that people tend to think that there are no tears in heaven. Um, up to this point, listen, there will be tears in heaven. There's a whole lot to cry about. All the judgment that is going to take place, the, the great white throne of God that's taking place, you don't think there'll be tears shed. There'll be sadness over those things. It is a sad thing uh, to see those kind of things. But at this point... God's going to say, hey, I'm, I'm wiping away. Those tears are now going to be gone. And you will no longer be saddened by all those things. Matter of fact, uh, I'm pretty sure God will wipe out the memory of those things. Uh, and all of that wickedness and all of those things that will be gone. And I'm just saying that God himself made it very clear that he is going to wipe away those tears and they will be eradicated. By the way, all of the things in verse number four are brought about as a result of sin. And, uh, and so all of those things are going to be eradicated. Not only are there no more tears, um, but, but there's so many things. Go with me to Romans, because I want to hit this before we move on. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 22. Romans 8, 22. Save your spot there in, in Revelation. We'll be back there. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 22. And the Bible says this in Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together 
until now. Um, and by the way, that whole creation is everything. Do you realize that the world was cursed with thorns? Could you imagine? Man, I'd love a world without thorns. Maybe the new, maybe the new world won't have thorns. Uh, I mean, uh, and the hardships that, that come in the world and, and everything that is, is bad or wrong with the world is a direct result of sin because God did not create it that way. Uh, and, and it came as a result of the sin that was made. And, and so the whole world groaneth, the Bible says, uh, and travaileth in pain together until now. And verse number 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, we, we fight our flesh every day. And, and, and our worst enemy is the guy we stare at in the mirror every single day when we get out of bed. That's our worst enemy because we have a sinful flesh. And so uh, we, we have our, that problem. And he's saying, hey, this world is groaning in its sin. It travaileth. It's laboring because of its sin. And we too, as flesh and blood, we struggle with that sin, waiting basically for that day of adoption. In other words, hey, listen, when we get to heaven, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, that this corruptible must put on incorruption. Boy, what a day that'll be. Man, when our bodies will be changed and we won't be fighting with that flesh anymore. We won't be fighting with that sin nature that we that currently indwells us. And listen, that same thing is true with this world. I said earlier, I just couldn't fathom and I cannot fathom. I can't fathom having a flesh that that doesn't have a sin nature. I look forward to that day. That'll be a great day. Uh, listen, the world, uh, I'm sure, uh, will have that, that, that same, uh, I guess the world doesn't think, it's just dirt, but, but it still, it does suffer because of sin. And listen, to have a world that is without sin is just blows my mind. But it's coming. And, and so uh, just as we wait for that day, uh, the world is waiting for that day as well. It's kind of the essence and the idea. But we know that the world does suffer because of sin. We know that sin will be eradicated and, and the curse of sin will be lifted. And listen, there'll be no more tears in that day. Again, that's at the end of all of things when everything is said and done. Uh, notice this, not only is there no more tears, but notice this, there shall be no more death. Boy, praise the Lord for that. Because the Bible says that, that uh, uh, for, by, uh, for by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. Sin brought about death. And listen, if there's no sin, there's no death. So praise the Lord for that. You know what that means? That listen, we will live forever and will never be separated from one another again. Some of you are saying, man, I... I don't know if I can put up with Brother Jeremy that long. It'll be all right. He'll be perfect. By the way, you'll be perfect too. So it'll be okay. We won't have problems. We won't have those conflicts with one another because it'll be a perfect world. And we, we have a hard time comprehending that and understanding that. But, but I'm just saying that's what it's going to be like. There'll be no death. You will never sorrow because you lose somebody. Praise the Lord for that. 
Anybody who, everybody has been touched by death in some form or fashion over the years of your life, no matter how small or how, uh, how, how old you are, uh, the fact of the matter is that's something that we accept as part of our life. But in eternity, it'll be no more. Man, what a good, what a great thought. Praise the Lord for that, that there will be no more death. We won't have that parting, that sorrow of that loss anymore. Not only that, but notice this, there'll be neither sorrow, the Bible says. You know what sorrow is? We, talk, we heard about it this morning, uh, an entire message on sadness. What a great message. And really, much as was stated, much of that sadness is brought about by what? By sin. Sin, pride, sin, the loss, the death of somebody, sin, uh, the jealousy, sin, all of those other things that was brought out in the message this morning is a result that causes sorrow in our lifetime. Listen, in heaven, there'll be no unfilled um, expectations. There'll be no jealousy. There'll be no pride. There'll be no loss of loved one. No one was going to die. And so there'll be no more sorrow. Man, what a world to live in where there is no sorrow. Who would not want to go to something like that? I mean, uh, people are like, oh, I'll take my chances. You're going to take your chances between hell and eternal bliss? Are you insane? I wouldn't take my chances on that. I'd know for sure that Jesus Christ is my Savior. There's no more sorrow. Notice this in, in the same verse number four. No more crying. Boy, what a great day. that We wouldn't cry. Crying oftentimes is a result of sadness, but it can be from disappointment or it can be from hurt. And listen, uh, we get hurt many times in this world. Why do we get hurt? Sin. But there's no sin there. So there's no more hurt. There's no more disappointment. There's no more of that. It's all going to be wiped away. Not only that, but the Bible goes on and it says, um, not only crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Boy, I can hear everyone. Let me, let me hear a hearty amen. No more pain. Amen, amen to that. Tell you what, Advil and Tylenol will go out of business, bless God. You won't need it. There's no pain in heaven. Man, what a blessing to know that there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's none of these things. And praise the Lord, he's very clear about it. For the former things are passed away. They're gone. They are no more. Look with me in verse number five. I love this. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. I wish I would have written down, I wish I would have counted. You go back, this is your homework. Go back in the chapter and read how many times he says these things right. For, and he says in this chapter, at least two times coming to mind, maybe three, that these things are true and faithful. And he's giving us assurance that the word of God, hey, he's not making this stuff up. This is a true saying. This is the truth of the word of God, that this is going to take place and that it is, a, uh, it is something that is, uh, that is serious. And God had John write it down in a book on purpose so that you and I could learn about it. Because he wants us to know this is the coming day. And he's assuring us that this is the truth. 
Look with me in verse number eight, because there's one more assurance that we get of these new conditions. Verse number eight, the Bible says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In all of the assurances that he gives, and he says, hey, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and he says, there's a new Jerusalem, and I, God, will be there, and I will dwell with you as people. And, and he says there's an assurance of truth, and there's assurance of, of the eradication of sin, and these effects of sin, that there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's none of these things, because all of these former things are passed away. But he makes it a point in verse number 8 to say, hey, listen, this is all true for the believer, but as much as this is still true for the believer, the lake of fire will continue to burn and it will not be eradicated. And what he's saying is, listen, we ought to catch note of this. Those people who die without Christ will still suffer for all of eternity. Hell and the lake of fire will not be eradicated in this time. And you say, boy, that's... That's a sad state. It is. But we here on this earth right now need to understand and know that for all of eternity. Because at this point, it's too late for everyone. We need to know that right now that, hey, the, the choices that people make are eternal choices that are going to determine where they're going to spend eternity. And we need to understand that as saved people. That when we present the gospel, when we carry a God, I had the opportunity to give out three gospel tracts today. It was, it was great. Um, and, and one lady, I, I stopped at an ATM to talk to, uh, to get money out. And, and she ended up talking to me and just a friendly lady. And, and, uh, and man, I, I just gave her a gospel track and said, hey, she's, she commented on the fact that I was all dressed up. I said, she, I said, well, I'm going back to church tonight. And she said, oh, good. And so I gave her a track and said, hey, why don't you come visit us sometime? And, and, and listen, we need to understand that when we get the gospel to the lost and dying world, it's not a light thing. It's for all, it, that could change that lady's eternity. Not just her life here on this earth. I hope it does change her life here on this earth. And I want it to change her life here on this earth. But we're talking her eternal destination uh, between being in the lake of fire or being in this place of eternal bliss where everything is wiped away and there's no pain and there's no suffering and there's no crying. But listen, in hell, in the lake of fire, they will continue to burn. And we need to understand that as he's assuring us of all of these things that are going to change and going to be different. We notice that in the first eight verses, all of these new things that are very, very much so assured to us. But look with me in verse 9, and I'm going to breeze through the end of the chapter. You're saying there's 27 verses, he'll never make it. I might not, but we'll do the best we can. There's a new city that's coming down. The Bible says in verse 9, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Verse number 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God 
having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And he goes on and describes the city. Matter of fact, the remainder of this chapter is, is, is concentrated and focused on dwelling on, on that city and all of how it's made up and all of the in, intricate details that go with that. And that is New Jerusalem that he's describing. And so he goes on and he tells us in verse number one, that hey, or verse number two, excuse me, that there is a New Jerusalem that is coming down to, to earth. And then he goes on in, in verse nine through 27 and describes it in finer detail than what he gave to us in verse number two. And so understand that. But, but understand this, I love this in verse number nine. The Bible says this, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And as I was reading that, I thought, what is the point that he is trying to make that he tells us that one of the angels that had those seven vials poured out judgment on the earth? As I read that, I thought, listen, those angels that had a tremendous weighty responsibility to pour out judgment upon this earth, those same angels are also tasked with a very enjoyable task of saying, hey, Look here, here's, let me show you the beautiful city that's going to be. And, and as I think about it, we're not angels. I'm not saying we're angels, but sometimes, listen, we are tasked with difficult things and letting people know that, hey, uh, they need to trust the Lord as their own personal Savior uh, sometimes can be a weighty thing and not an enjoyable thing uh, to let them know that, hey, there is a fire that does burn for all of eternity, but then sometimes there's joyous occasions when you see something marvelous take place, or to tell somebody, boy, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. What a beautiful place it is. And these angels, I was glad to see that, man, they're not just tasked with a, with a, a, a hefty and, uh, and tough job of delivering judgment from God, but also delivered with a, uh, with a very good task of allowing John to see that that holy city, Jerusalem, coming down and, and to present the bride that would be dwelling there in that city and wrapped up there in that holy city. And I found it very fascinating, just that. Uh, look with me as we see the city is introduced here in verses 11 through 14. And the Bible says, Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the twelve angel and at the twelve and at the gates, excuse me, twelve angels, and the and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as, a lar as large as the breadth. And, the, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And uh, boy, what a great city as he describes it. And, and we see it introduced and, and it's a beautiful city. It's a literal city. 
You say, preacher, you believe that's a literal city? I believe it's a literal city that, that comes out of, out of heaven and, and is placed right not on this earth, because this earth will be destroyed, but on the new earth that Jesus creates. And it will be placed there. And, and, and I find it very interesting and very fascinating because there are those who want to write Israel out of God's plan. But very clearly we can see here that the 12 tribes are mentioned. Matter of fact, their names are written on those 12 gates that are around that city. Israel, Jerusalem, is very significant to God. Mark it down. Because it's going to be written for all of eternity uh, in Jerusalem, in that holy city that God is going to bring down out of heaven. And all of that is very significant. Don't worry, we're not left out because we find there the 12 foundations. Uh, on those 12 foundations are the apostles' names. And listen, I'm sure there's a lot of significance for all of those things that are written, but I just want to mention it here and mention it, the, the importance. Hey, Jerusalem and Israel is important to God. The, the 12 apostles, the foundation of the church is important to God. And so we find those merger of those two things that carry great significance throughout the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way into eternity. And it's, it's listed and labeled right there in New Jerusalem for all of eternity for us to see. You say, man, what an incredible thing. Yes, to have all those names and all of that written down there. It is a square city, uh, roughly, uh, it, it's um, 1,500 miles uh, in every direction, high, uh, wide, and long. Uh, it's a th about 1,500 miles. The wall in verse number 17 is mentioned, and some people, well, that's kind of small. It's 216 feet, uh, but it's not tall because... A 216 feet tall wall compared to 1,500 miles high is like not very big. So it's a wide wall, all right? Uh, it's that's 216 feet wide of wall. And, and can you even begin to wrap your mind around a city that is 1,500 miles high? I cannot. Maybe gravity doesn't exist in that new world. Maybe it doesn't need to. Maybe we'll float. Elevators probably won't exist. I don't know all of the wonder. My mind cannot even begin to comprehend. You could sit down and you could contemplate. And I've heard a lot of people that are far smarter than I am that have contemplated eternity. And I heard one guy say this. He said, what if we can see music? What if we could? Maybe we're, because of sin we're limited and we cannot. I don't know. I'm just saying, it'll blow your mind to think of eternity. And you can't even begin to comprehend. But I can assure you that there's this new city and it's going to be beautiful and it's wonderful. Look at verse number 18. We find this. The Bible says, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. Notice this. I find this fascinating. And the city was pure gold. Watch this like unto clear glass. Verse number 21, read it there as well. And the 12 gates were 12 pearl, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. 
you and I have come to understand gold is the gold color, like this ring on my finger. It's gold. I can't get it off or I take it off and show you. Like our, our chandelier is the color of gold that we perceive. And there's 14 carat, 24 carat. I don't know if there's more. I'm not, I, I, I didn't look into all of that. But the Bible is telling us pure gold that's transparent. I don't know about you, maybe that exists on the earth. I can tell you this, I've never seen it. And, and what a wonderful thing that that is going to be. What a fascinating thing to see this city as it's laid out and see the, the beauty of the city and the, the pure gold that is there. Look at verse number 19 and down through 20, we find the foundations we're not going to read those for sake of time and all those, those uh, stone names that, that I don't know. And boy, you can, you can run off and, and, and research all of those. I'm sure there's some fascinating information, but it gives you all the foundations of that city. In verse number 21, we see the pearly gates. You ever hear that uh, sometimes we, we, we think about the idea of those pearly gates in heaven. And uh, this is actually in New Jerusalem. And, uh, and actually, listen, there's more than one. There's 12 of them, to be precise, the Bible tells us. And, uh, and so they're on each side of the city. And, and I'm sure God's got a way of, of marking that all down, probably the same way uh, the nation of Israel had to camp so many tribes of the north, so many tribes of the south, so many tribes of the east, so many tribes of the west. I'm sure God's got all those details all sorted out. And I'm just saying, it's going to be a marvelous thing to be able to walk that and see that. Or maybe we won't even have to walk. Maybe we'll float. I don't know. Uh, but, but to be able to see that city. But notice this in verse number 22 and 23, and I love this. The Bible says, And I saw no temple therein. Let me just pause right here and say this, that Jerusalem, as I stated earlier in the message, has been the center of religious activity since the foundation, basically, of the world. And it has been important uh, to the entire world. But let me tell you something. In heaven, there'll be no temple. Why is that? We'll keep reading the verse and we'll find out. Verse number 22, and I saw no temple therein. Boy, could you imagine John's awe and John's shock to see New Jerusalem and the, the absence of a temple, something that he saw his entire life, something that he was very significant in his life. He's like, I saw the mount and there was no temple therein. Why? The Bible says, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Boy, you won't need a nightlight in heaven. You won't, your light bulb will never, never burn out because you won't need it. Because God... Jesus Christ, the Lamb, and God, the Bible is very clear, are the light of that city. They're the temple of that city. They're the hub of all religious worship. And just could you imagine the light as bright as noonday shining throughout the entirety of that transparent city. Boy, it'll hit those rocks 
that are located in the foundations and how it will glimmer off the different colors that will be available to, to view and, and all of those things. What a splendor that is made there in that city with God. And by the way, that's yet another one. There'll be no more night. Boy, there's no darkness there. Praise the Lord for that. I, I, I've never liked darkness. I like a little light. My wife drives her crazy I have a, if I have a little nightlight on. And man, if I got to get up in the middle of the night, I don't want to be stubbing my toe. I've been there, done that. I've learned, use a light, dummy. Don't try it in the dark. It doesn't matter if you know the house. Just use a light. Listen, in heaven, you won't have to worry about it because there's no more darkness. You say, well, man, how are we going to sleep? You won't need to sleep. You won't need to rest because the former things are passed away. And, and everything's going to be different. And God's splendor will fill that city with light. Look at verse number 24 down through 26. I find this fascinating. The Bible says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. There's going to be nations that are going to be operating in that time. And, and they're going to bring their honor and glory. I, I, I think these are going to be, that. well, I know because there's all the former things are going to be passed away. There's not going to be sin. The devil is bound for all of eternity. There's no more deception. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more of these things. They're all done away. And so here we have a absolutely perfect society functioning. And I, that blows my mind. I can't even begin to comprehend it. But I tell you what, it's going to take place, and we'll see it. What a great day that will be. Look in verse number 27, and we find, And there shall be in no wise, and excuse me, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever work, worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book. Of life. Praise the Lord for that. And he assures us, hey, there's not going to be any more of that wickedness. It's done. It's over. Boy, what a glorious chapter of heaven that we look forward to. We call it heaven. I guess it's a new earth and a new city that we'll actually dwell in. And if you want to call it heaven, knock yourself out. God calls it New Jerusalem and a new earth. And that we'll dwell there with him for all of eternity. Boy, what a great day. I, think about that. Think about heaven. Th not, think about the earth, rather, being reformed in absolute perfection, sinless perfection. Boy, what an incredible day. Let your mind think about that throughout the week as you think, man, we, we live in a sin-cursed earth. You turn on the news for five seconds and you go, yep, yep, we live in a sin-cursed earth. But boy, this day... It's going to be a wonderful day because there'll be no sin. What a great day that'll be. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, everything made new. What a great chapter. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's faithful and that it's true and that it's been recorded for us to know for sure of how good you are. And God, the, 
really, in an essence, the culmination of all your promises of eternal life and eternal bliss that will be there in heaven. God, I pray that as we think about heaven, we think about this new Jerusalem and this sinless, perfect place. God, I pray that we look forward to it, but God, I pray that we would be concerned and take those who do not know you with us by way of the gospel. God, that we'd witness to people. We'd be concerned because there is still that lake of fire. It's not eradicated. And it will last for all of eternity. God, I pray that you'd burden our hearts. I pray that you'd concern us with lost souls. And certainly may we look forward to heaven May we look forward to no more pain and no more suffering and no more parting and no more night and all of the things that will be there. But God, I pray that you'd help us to be concerned for the lost as well, that today need to trust you as their personal Savior. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the piano is beginning to play. Maybe God's touched your heart about a friend, family, co-worker, somebody that needs the Lord. We need to witness to them. We need to let them know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save them. Oh, I hope the message is encouraging. Yes, I, I hope, boy, you're looking forward to heaven. I am. Man, what a wonderful place. Who wouldn't want to go there? But there's a lot of people that are not heading there. We need to do what we can to reach them. Thank God for His promise and His word telling us, hey, this is what it's going to be like. What a wonderful time. 